Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets and ideas can change the world. It's funny about that word change connected to this idea of the world. This idea that one's life actually audaciously could influence the world. And often you've all heard before, I often referred to the world as kind of a garden. That makes it personal for me. Allows me to think of changing the world in my own little garden, but having far, far reaching um, implications for life after I leave, like planting a tree. And so uh, as I get older and older, people who have gone through life with me are tending to come back into my life. People who fed my life, nourished my life, enriched my life, and yet maybe haven't stayed in contact with. And one of them was a gentleman. We're both erstwhile 20-year-olds um, who want to be authors one day. And we decide we're going to travel around Europe for a year. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget one scene. We're traveling around Europe. And uh, I, I turned to him and, and said, what do you think that tree is? And I think it was him that said, uh, well, if that tree had never been named, what would you call it? And uh, that kind of sums up the spirit, the creativeness, and the uh, insights of Ben Martin. Ben, it's great to have you on the great conversation. Uh, it's great to be here, Ron. Thank I, you. Uh, ben has been on a, a somewhat similar journey as myself. We, again, wanted to be authors. We both went to the same university. And then... Uh, and then right about the time we we're graduating, uh, guess what? The high-tech revolution was beginning. And Ben, you kind of left the university and uh, how'd you get into, into business? Yeah, I was plucked up by the universe. I was teaching creative writing class for um, um, a community college here in Denver, Colorado. And I uh, was on a bus and I was editing somebody's paper and somebody comes up to me and said, Davis Oil Company's looking for a technical writer. Do you know one? And I said, I don't, but can't let me take the number. And uh, when I went home and asked my wife, what's a technical writer? And she described <laughs> it to me and I called and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with computers and I can write. He said, well, put your resume in. They took somebody with 25 years of experience and uh, he lasted a month and then they called me. But it was like the, it was in the water, right? Like you're saying with the uh, technology was there and um, people with no background in, in technology or experience were kind of plucked up and plopped into, um, into a job that had to do with tech. <laughs> And that's, and, and by the way, what great timing for us, because now we have computer science majors, we, we have business yeah, graduates, exactly. right? They we, would never we have, have hired me. <laughs> exactly. So we, we weren't, we were right at that cusp where anything was possible. In fact, uh, many companies were still investing in young graduates or people with a year or two experience, and they put them 
through exhaustive training programs yeah. because they thought they'd have them for 30 years. That's which right. just doesn't happen anymore, right? No. And uh, we were both beneficiaries of that. I certainly was with McDonnell Douglas. And then you went on to J.D. Edwards, I believe. That's right. I was with them for 18 years. So That's right. Yeah. In in uh, And you had a series of promotions. You were an executive in a many different companies around. Uh, you took your technical writing into another sphere you never imagined yourself in, sales yeah. and marketing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Can you believe yeah. we'd even think of that back then? No, I would have been appalled probably at myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, boy, it was a joyous ride. And uh, yeah, I um, evolved from technical writer to I got my master's in instructional design. So I started uh, pioneering computer based training when interactive video disc. How many of those do you have um, was cool and uh, learned to do online training that way and brought that to JD Edwards. But then I ended up over translation documentation and training department of 180 people and then um, from there, uh, developed a product that I ended up being product manager for and kind of taking out to the world. It was a multilingual content management solution that was supposed to take over the world. And then from there, um, transitioning in, into other tech companies, um, Atway really was precipitated by being purchased by PeopleSoft and being purchased, who was purchased by Oracle. But anyway, that's the net of that uh, story. <laughs> what I'm intrigued about, and we can both get personal on this, is you had big dreams. This wasn't even in your frame of reference. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but those dreams had a lot to do with your heart and your mind. And so as you're going through the business world, uh, the business world found a way to leverage those innate skills you had developed that were tied to a different kind of dream. So tell me how you dealt with the paradox of that, that you're leveraging these skills that were meant for maybe possibly even a higher purpose, yeah. but now being done to till the soil, make the money, improve people's lives in the business world. Tell me how you dealt with that paradox. <laughs> well, I think kids change everything, right? <laughs> um, and I o only conceived of myself as a professional. I wanted to be a minister and then a, a medical missionary and uh, help the world and lost my beliefs, but not my beloved and, and morphed into um, psychology and saw myself as a counselor, psychologist, a teacher, never saw myself as a businessman, manager of department uh, type person. And uh, so it was always a little dissonant and, and writer. Uh, writing was the ticket through my life, I guess, a theme, if you will, of um, writing. And that's how I got tech writing and course writing. But, um, but it was the kids and I was not going to pursue my um, personal, I don't know, aspirations at the cost of them. And I was able to marry in part some of the um, promptings that I had and then make a living that could uh, support the quality of life that I wanted for my three kids and for my family. And um, 
uh, wasn't always uh, better roses and always easy, but um, that's, you know, where I landed and, uh, and pretty much said, I'm, I'm, I have to, I can't do that. I have to close that door <laughs> and I have to move forward. So, well, uh, and for the people who are listening, I've taken maybe perhaps even too long, but we're going to be getting into Ben's brand new book that will be the subject of this. Uh, but it's a crescendo event um, because all of us have to figure out how our initial dreams um, get metamorphosed, to get that are incarnated in another role in the between. Yeah. Uh, and that between, it's okay. It's still okay because you're learning. You're learning. And you had some amazing insights, I would imagine, from dealing with people in business under pressure situations, a lot about life and love and happiness and profession that it ends up infusing and informing your poetry and your writings today. Yes, I think that's true. Has to be true. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't have called your new book Love Songs from the Between. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's you. <laughs> which totally got me, grabbed me right away because we're always between. We're in the between. That's we're right. always reconciling what was, what is, and what is to become. So <laughs> right. it, it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. But you're also doing something else. I want to get into the book in a second, but you're also doing something else. You're taking, again, your imaginative and creative impulses of writing and you're creating narratives of people's lives. Tell people about this. What are you doing? Yeah, I am what you call a life cycle celebrant. And my mission is to craft one-of-a-kind ceremonies for milestone moments in people's lives, whether it's a baby welcoming, a coming of age, a wedding, a graduation, a retirement, or a, a life celebration. And um, I've probably done over 250 funerals, life celebrations, where I get the privilege to bring a person to life in the room and once again touch base with what their essence was and to connect the family with the love and gratitude that they feel as they say their final goodbye. And of course, there's different types of goodbyes that come with um, a unexpected death from a murder or a um, suicide or an overdose, somebody with cancer and left uh, uh, left uh, um, this life way too soon to someone who's been 100 years old and had um, every day walked a mile, you know, and had this robust life. But it's just so wonderful to be a storyteller and to be able to uh, take my craft and bring solace and creativity and um uh and and kind of a joyfulness to the family who can't even imagine how to get through what they're going through so anyway so ben, i need a little of the how how do you do this because the person has passed away people are yeah. in grief how do you excavate the essence and bring them back to life how do you do that 
Yeah, well, you spend two hours at least with the family, um, oftentimes extended family members from uh, brother, brothers, sisters, uh, kids, uh, parents, cousins, and um, you go in with some um, uh, catalyzing questions. Uh, if your person had a spirit animal, what would that be? And tell me uh, what what their essence is. I kind of um, my practice is called essential ceremonies, and what I'm all about is getting to the essence or the essential oil of that person. If you were to distill down that person, what would they smell like? <laughs> what would they? What would it be like? And certainly not to saint uh, sanitize or make them into a saint, but to really illuminate uh, what made their thumbprint different than anybody else's thumbprint and their footprint different than anybody else's. And so your, um, uh, what do they call it when you give a sermon at a, at a funeral? I can't think of the word, but anyway, uh, not a eulogy, but the, but, but the, the message or the, the sermon is the life. Uh, that you're you're eulogizing because there's so much to learn and to uh, um, extract uh, in a celebration. So, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Th <laughs> thank you very much. I, I, I'm I'm digging a little bit. Everyone always knows these are unscripted, so I always uh, end up on tangents. Um, <laughs> but but, but it, it, it's an important one, I think. I think I, I'm going to throw it back at you. A life can be quote-unquote celebrated, uh, but it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be all the good stuff. Right, no. Right. I mean, so if it's inauthentic, it's off-putting. Um, I had a, a person in my class who's, uh, whose uncle, she said, was evil incarnate. She went with her, her dad to the funeral, um, and her cousin was eulogizing this uncle and her dad leans over to her and said, would you go up to that casket and see if we're at the right funeral? Because uh, <laughs> what that cousin was saying wasn't anything that they had experienced. So if you have a son of a bitch that, that was stubborn and difficult, certainly there are ways to uh, call it out and you don't have to just um, do a, a roast, <laughs> but sometimes you do. Humor is a great uh, connector for people. If you can make fun of somebody the way, uh, or to find a way to poke fun, but it needs to be authentic. It needs to be uh, true to the person. Well, also it seems to me, again, I've never been through one of yours. I'd love to sit in on that. What a, what a learning experience that would be, but it seems to me, what we all kind of want in the room is, um, especially if the person wasn't always a good person or even close to being a good person, yeah. is maybe the why as well. Yeah, yeah. Right? I can think of some of my relatives that if someone like you came in, it's like, let's explore the why of this person. And even if you were the recipient of bad behavior, yeah. how did that behavior help you? Exactly. Well, and, um, you know, you, you, I think everybody has defining moments in their lives. And sometimes, I mean, that can be taking drugs or, or, or going through uh, an, an addiction time or, or, or forever. I just did a ceremony for 
a brother um, who they were estranged. He basically lost uh, the mother, died when he was um, early teens, and he just drank himself to death for the next 10 years. Brother, older brother just could not um, keep a relationship, but he wanted to honor him at, at death. And uh, so you, you acknowledge the estrangement in the room and the law, the dark path this person took and they didn't get the chance to maybe reconnect with the light they came in with or the why they were here and, and there's better ways of saying it than i'm saying it but um you still have to be true to the situation and to the relationships that are in the room what I find is that I think something happens in the brain when we recognize somebody, it's like an aha and we go, ah, yes, that's the person I knew. And the biggest compliment I'll get is, um, uh, how did you know George? You know, or how did you know Mary? And I'll say, well, I learned about her through the fan. Oh my gosh, it just seemed like you must have been a lifelong friend, you know, kind of thing. And um, that's what you go for is if you can unearth that person, literally unbury them, bring them in the room fully flesh. Don't just uh, give a thin profile of just what was good, but to fill them out with stories and memories and with uh, metaphors. Um, it's a thrill. It's a well, joy. And you you run the Celebrant Foundation now. Well, that wouldn't be a fair statement. I am the uh, chairman of the board for it. the, it's called the Celebrant uh, um, Foundation and Institute. And it's been around for the last 23 years. We really serve the underserved, um, uh, where people have lost their link to clergy. A lot of our clients are uh, spiritual, but not religious. Are the, uh, we're there for the LGBTQ plus uh, community that have oftentimes been uh, left <laughs> on their own uh, from clergy. And I think the times have changed gratefully, but um, we are there to, um, unite families that might have religious right, Buddhist and animist and atheist all coming together to celebrate Papa. Well, how do you do that? Well, you don't call the priest and or the um, the the uh, preacher uh, to do that without put off putting three other sections of the family. Um, and then we also bring a lot of art to our ceremony. It's a lot of ritual. Uh, you know, it's a one-of-a-kind uh, ritual that's appropriate for that family. What kind, and, what kind of art, Ben? Um, well, well, the art part is maybe metaphor and uh, okay, okay. Um, theme as you're crafting a ceremony that has an arc. And it is like, a, you know, a little short story, if you will, that you start from beginning to end. But we'll um, do, uh, I've done uh, something called an earth altar, for those clients of mine who are very environmentally uh, oriented, want to have their ashes or their um, body in the um, in a special place along in the woods, and uh, we'll have people meditate, bring back things that remind them of that person. We build a beautiful mandala, um, we say some words, and then we mix that in as we either spread the ashes or lay them to rest. So there's um, a lot of creativity. It can be anything, uh, you know, it can be a, a, a celebration at a 
brewery um, where you're celebrating the brewmaster and what a, a great guy he was and everybody toast him and roast him and whatever, you know, it just needs to kind of be in alignment with the spirit of the person and the, what the family's looking for. And what an opportunity to not only share the story of that person, but the story of the us around them. Yeah, and, and that's where I was going. I think something happens in the brain that uh, when you recognize someone, uh, I think it releases some sort of endorphins and changes the brain because you recognize, you re-know this person by way of this story and it connects this re-knowing and this story now threads everybody together in the room and it's a beautiful thing it's really story that alchemy that change it actually is palpable as it changes particularly when a, it's an unexpected death and everyone's in that shock place and just trying to get through this uh to the other side to figure out what happened to them and then something miraculous happens in the room and there is something i've had a, a grandmother whose daughter was an amazing human being but decided to take her life and it was a shock to everyone why she was the most brilliant beautiful person you could ever imagine and the grandmother came up to me and said i didn't want to come i didn't think there was anything i could get from this ceremony but i can only tell you that you really helped me get through the most difficult time in my life and um that's what you live for <laughs> well the uh the cool thing is moving from the story of this human being to the story of us yeah um, like you suggested it, it's unexplainable you have to experience it but it's what miracles are all about right the unexplainable yeah, it is yeah i think grace you know grace is always the surprise it's got to come as a surprise you can't make it happen That's but right. something surprising happens and what a great segue to your new book um for those of you it's called called love songs from the between and literally for every calendar day of the year there's a song poem if you will uh, and it, it really, quite frankly, is about what we just talked about. It's the story of you. It's the story of us. It's the story of um, creation in many different ways. Tell me how you came up with the idea for this. Um, well, the between is really a reference to the um, how you mark on a, um, a tombstone, the death date, uh, the birth date dash, and the uh death date and so the only part we really know is that dash or the between what's between those two dates and of course um i have other references of living in the between where it's more of a liminal space and you've left something and you're on your way to somewhere but you don't know where and these um poems are to be inspirational and to offer an insight into embracing where you are the between and may it be full of blessings and may it be a joyous ride as you live in the between so the first thing i did ben when i bought the book 
is go to my birthday, right? <laughs> I love it. That's the first thing I did when I realized it was a day-by-day calendar, if you will, of reflections. And it, uh, the first thing I did is, oh gosh, Ben, you would write this on my birthday. And it was called Organ of Joy. And I go, what is that? <laughs> and it starts off with, though you know loss, though you know pain, though you know disappointment, May you not lose your place in this place, but in all you do or try to do or want to do, may you remember and remember and remember that you are called to be an organ of joy. Ben, that that was beautiful. It was it was a it, it was one. I must time. have known that was your birthday, Ron, because you are an organ <laughs> but, of joy. But it's 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 true. That at my best and highest, when I can raise another one up, when I can take my baby grandchild, my daughter, my wife, if I can claim for an instant that I can be an organ of joy for them, that is the happiest thing on earth. A client, somebody who attends the great conversation, all of those things are um, are. Uh, uh, make me feel very blessed. So thank you for that that birthday <laughs> song. I never thought that. And people who have bought the book have told me that the first thing they do is go to their birthday. And it just never occurred to me that that's what people would do. So wonderful. <laughs> and like, it worked. It was you. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, Henry David Thoreau once said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. And uh, it's it's hard for all of us to really understand the why why we are here, our place in it, and answer the question: Do we believe it matters? Yeah. And for you to now be at a spot from the old days of us traveling around Europe, where yeah. you're celebrating the between, you're writing about the between, you're giving people hope in their remembering of their spirit and their body. Um, I just love that, Ben. And you've you. led a good life just to get to this moment. Uh, thank you. Uh. This has been a great conversation with Benjamin Martin, uh, uh, still living in his sacred home, Colorado, with the mountains <laughs> and the Rocky right. Mountain Highs. And uh, and still writing and singing like he did on my travels with him. And <laughs> you've li lived a wonderful life. And uh, I urge people, please have this daily meditation on your chair uh, that you can wake up in the mornings to or read late at night. Ben, thank you so much for a great conversation. My God, thank you, Ron. It was just fabulous. Appreciate it.